You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 614 for April 19th, 2023. On this episode, vibraphonist Joe Locke. Members of the Jazz Session also get This I Dig of You, the Patreon bonus show, on which I ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that is bringing them joy. Joe talks about slow cooking. You can hear the bonus episode by becoming a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll also get early access to every episode of the show, thank you for me on an episode, and occasional behind-the-scenes info and other cool bonus stuff. Joe Locke's latest album is called Makram. Here's a sample. after far too long welcome back to the jazz session it's great to be here jason it has been a while my brother it's great to connect with you again it is so great to hear your voice uh i have never lost touch with your music uh but it is equally great to continue to hear it and into the new album macram which is uh, out now on circle nine records before we dive into the album specifically, I was struck once again uh, when I listened to this album. You are just one of the most present musicians I've ever heard, which is why I think I get such a strong emotional reaction when I hear your recordings, when I see you in person. Uh, you're just so intimately connected to the performance of the music and communicating that to us in the audience or in the listening audience all the time. And I, I'm just really curious, is there... Is that is that just a natural thing? Do you just slip into the space or is that something that it takes time to work at? Do you have to do something to get yourself into that mode where you're just intimately connected to the performance? Man, Jason, thanks for asking. You know, I, I think it goes back to to my roots um, learning and performing the, the, the music in upstate New York, Rochester and Buffalo. I, I was really fortunate to play music in the black community where the the music was really woven into the social fabric and there was not there wasn't a separation between really between the artists and the audience in a way that that you might think of a conservatory performance being where it was the music was part and parcel of this of the social fabric and some and somehow i think i i continue i think that sunk in somehow and i think i continue that so i think for me, the like the really essential, I'd say elemental thing for me is connection, is to connect with the 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 people for whom I'm playing and to and I think I don't do it on a I don't have a conscious agenda 
but I but I think there's something to that how I learned the music and how I how how I connect with it I want to pass on to the listener and I think that goes all the way back to the very beginning for me you know it's funny uh, before I even knew I was going to do this interview or had received the new record or anything somebody had asked me what are some of the best live performances that you've ever seen and I I mentioned your name and a, a couple specific performances including one of the first times I ever saw you which was at a uh, I think a no longer very, very much no longer existing place called the Pithod uh, Club in Rochester. Uh, it's its second iteration, yes, which was yeah. a kind of small packed room. And to paraphrase myself, what I said to the person who asked me why it was a good show, I said, well, you know, it was a show full of improvised music, but it felt like a rock concert. I mean, it was just like the whole thing was really visceral and the band was clearly having as much, if not more fun, you know, I mean, they were just, you guys were absolutely dialed in and that just bleeds out into the audience. And I've thought a lot about most of my favorite concerts. I have to be honest, when I, when I list the, my favorite shows I've ever seen, most of the time I'm listing rock bands because of that experience. And you're one of those improvising performers who gives me that same high, just like that I don't know. It doesn't matter if you know I'm in the room or not. I still feel like we're connected while you're performing, which kind of goes back to this thing we were just talking about. But I just feel like that's so important. And if I'm honest, kind of rare. Man, th well, th thank you, man. I think that's uh, it's really interesting that you talk about rock music because I'm, I mean, I'm very much in this album. Makram is very much a, a pure jazz album, but there's something about the connectedness of, of rock music, you know, because we grew up with rock music, Jason, and 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 even though I don't try to emulate, I've, I've never tried to do a, a rock album. There's something about you know like the visceralness of of um, I mean, man, if it's if it's Van Halen or if it's or Kiss even or or uh, or the or the Red Hot Chili Peppers or or you know some I mean I'm just trying to, trying to think of bands that that hit me viscerally, you know that that, that kind of hit you below the waist with their energy. I totally agree with you, man. You know, there there are times like where where I want to go to that visceral energy, and when I do, it's usually not jazz I'm listening to. It's usually that that music that packs that punch. And sometimes I need that. Maybe there's a little bit of that. I mean, I would like to think that sometimes there's a little bit of that energy in my in my music, just because it's it sinks in from this other genre. But again, man, it's it's really all about communication and. Um, and connecting you know, with people without pandering, man. I think that's another thing. You know, there there are musicians we all know who who pander to an audience, meaning they bring they lower the bar to you know to expand their audience. But there are there are musicians who have been incredibly popular. They grew a large audience, but they did it just because it was coming from a genuine place. Some people I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Grover Washington Jr. right now because Grover. Oh was man, absolutely. He was a good friend and he and Grover was somebody who he was just he was playing himself, you know, he and he sort of invented a genre just by being himself. And then a whole lot of people jumped on this bandwagon, like it became a bandwagon and people jumped on it. And an art form called a, a, a form called smooth jazz, you know, came from that. And it was a very cynical commercial version of what for Grover or someone to say, like, uh, for example, Joe Sample for whom it was just a genuine way that they played. And you, I can tell the difference. You know, I can tell the difference. And uh, man, I, I've got to tell you, Jason, not to, you know, not to go down a rabbit hole, but there's an album, you know, I love listening to, man, to Art Tatum, and I love listening to Bird, and I love listening to 
to Brad Meldow solo piano, you know, but there's a, there's an album that I, I put on the other day and it just made me feel all the things I want to feel when I'm listening to music. And it was Joe Sample and Layla Hathaway. Oh yeah. With Jay Anderson and I'm forgetting yeah. on drums. And it's just this very pared down sort of muscular rhythm section doing, doing just beautiful songs with Layla's incredible voice and Joe just playing just from a, it's sort of like an R and B record, but it's a jazz record at the same time. And, and it just was incredibly communicative. And I was like, man, sign me up for this, man. This is, this is, this is music that makes me feel something that makes me feel my heart, that makes me feel uh, below the waist. And that, and that's, and that's harmonically interesting enough that satisfies my, that, that intellectual thing that I want satisfied as a jazz musician. So so man, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Music is a funny thing, man. Sometimes, like, I want to have that. I, I want, you know, I want that slide rule music that 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 intrigues me. You know, that's that's very mathematical and very very intellectual. But but most of the time, I don't. Most of the time, I want to feel something. And if and I if I convey that on this new album, um, that it's if it's musically interesting, but but doesn't make you have to listen, have to have to work too hard to enjoy it, then I then I feel like I've I've been successful. Let's turn our attention to Macram, the new album. Uh, can we just start off by, will you tell me the about the person after whom the album is named? Man, absolutely, Jason. Um, I, I was teaching as a visiting professor at uh, at the Groningen Conservatory in the Netherlands. There was a, there's a wonderful jazz program there where a lot of New York musicians come and, and visit and teach uh, for a, a period of maybe a week at a time. And I was doing a visiting professorship and I don't know. I was going. I was in a period where I was sort of losing faith in people. Um, there, there, there had been a, a number of events had transpired that just kind of made me feel, feel kind of icky about people. <laughs> and then, and I, I was. I taught a master class, and the next day I, I bumped into a master student who's a bassist named Makram Hosen, and Makram uh, and I engaged in a conversation. And just suffice to say, just meeting this person sort of renewed and reaffirmed my faith in people. And, um, and, and he was just a lovely human being from Beirut, Lebanon. He's a bassist and a composer. And we stayed in touch. He, you know, he's somebody who at the, at the port blast in Beirut, you know, when the port blast happened, that devastating blast at the port, he, he, uh, I was concerned about him and I called him and didn't hear from him for a couple of days. And I was concerned and when he he got back to me, um, he said he said, "Man, I'm sorry, I didn't get in touch. I was I was I was digging for survivors, you know." At the wow. port. he's that kind of cat. 
and he's a great musician. And um, and the and uh, you, you know sometimes, man, you're when you're sitting at the piano writing something, you you don't you know I'll start noodling at the piano, and I don't know what I'm writing or what the what the what the purpose is and why I'm sitting at the piano. And I started to noodle around with sort of a blues form, like a minor blues form, and it, it settled on the like a five four time signature, and I was I was playing with it. And when the melody started to emerge, it, it had a Middle Eastern flavor. And I said, oh, I'm writing this for Makram Hosen, for my friend Makram. And I didn't, I didn't know it until that moment, but it, it sounds like Makram. And I wrote the piece for him and dedicated it to him. And it just became the title of the album. You know, when I looked at, at all the individual tracks and all the, all the individual titles, that was the only one, maybe just because of its, its obliqueness and the, the, the mystery of the name, you know, for, an, uh, for a Western to the Western ear, it was, to me, it was oblique and evocative um, and a, a little bit mysterious. And uh, I didn't intend to, you know, I, I intended to write a song for my friend, not to write the entire, you know, to dedicate the entire album to him, but I'm happy I did. It seemed, it seemed to be the best title of all the songs. And that's how it, that's how it emerged as the album title. This album uh, revolves around a, you know, a fabulous a core band. Will you just tell us about them, who they are and, and, uh, working with them, man. It's all uh, you know. It's all coming back to me, Jason. What a great interviewer you are, man. <laughs> um, thank you, th- thank you for the thank you exact, for the ex- exact questions I would like to to be asked. Um, I'm I'm really happy because um, this band is a band that I've 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 been able to keep together for um, more than a few years now, and um, I first you know, put together uh, the band together for my my previous album which was called Subtle Disguise. And um, and it just really worked uh, with these musicians. I didn't even plan on doing this album, but I looked at the, at, at the, at the new songs I'd composed and I said, oh, I, think, I think these songs I'm looking at comprise a potential next album. And, and it, it didn't take, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a long walk for me to, to realize that I simply wanted to continue the quartet. Um, and uh, the pianist and, and keyboardist in, in the group is Jim Riddle. He's someone who worked um, extensively with Pat Martino, including a man playing in duo. So they had an um, amazingly close relationship. And he's, he's played a lot with Dave Liebman and, um, and many, many other people. He's just, he, he's someone who's playing I fell in love with when I first heard him. And I've been, uh, I, I, I use him at, at every opportunity. Um, uh, the bassist is Lauren Cohen, who's a great electric and acoustic bass player. So, uh, someone like me has an affinity for for all kinds of music, and he plays all kinds of music, all genres, like really well. Um, he's from Chicago, just a really soulful brother. And he um, he's someone like I'll go to his gigs, Jason, just to sit in the audience to 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 listen, but also just to watch him play because there's something infectious about his spirit, and when he plays. He his his spirit sort of just like is just so demonstrative, like the the joy is so is so present when he plays. And it's a it's just a joy to listen to him, but also to watch him as a member of the audience. Um, So he's out of sight. And um, and the other and the drummer in the band, actually, this also goes back to that week that I spent in Groningen in in the Netherlands, the same week that I met Makram. I met a young drummer who was 18 years old at the time and already playing incredibly. And um, when I left that week to go back to the States, I said, I'm going to keep in touch with this young man. And um, he, he shortly thereafter moved to 
uh, to New York City uh, to do uh, to do his bachelor's degree at Queens College, and um, and he started playing with me at some point after after coming to New York. His name is Sam Belsarkisian, and he's from Rostov on Don, Russia, which is a place that that's w- very close to the Ukrainian border. I'm, I've actually been very concerned about my friends in Rostov. There's a community of musicians there who are astounding. Um, and um, he's one of these young musicians who are, who are like world-class young musicians. And even at the age of 18, um, he, he felt, he seemed like an old soul. And all these young musicians there have that same quality. Elena and Jabarian, who was signed by Snarky Puppy, but, but by the Snarky Puppy label, is one of them, uh, a young woman who's an old soul. Artem Badenko, who's a tenor player, who's now in the Herbie Hancock Institute uh, Ensemble, an absolutely mega tenor saxophonist. He's got that same quality. And they, they all come from Rostov and Don, Russia. And that's where Sam Bell is from. And he's just an astounding drummer, man. And he, uh, so I'm really happy with this quartet. And um, all of them are featured, um, n- not only featured as players on the new album, but I made sure for the second album that all of them are represented as composers as well. you've just stolen my uh, my uh, next question which is totally so totally fine uh but i was going to ask what what difference has it made between album one and two that in album two not only are they there uh as players but they're there as people with compositional credits on the record as well people whose own music is now being performed by the band to your answer answer your question in a in in a bit of a longer answer there was an interview that I heard on the radio once and the, and the interviewer was speaking to a, a television writer, a successful television writer whose name I, I forget, but he was talking about how he never, he never felt like he had found his tribe. And he talked about, you know, I, I looked, I thought I would find it as a, as a, as a New York theater writer. And I, I didn't. And then I moved to LA and became a TV writer. And I, I, I thought I would find my tribe among the community of, of television writers in Los Angeles, but I didn't. And he went on to all, all these different places where he would thought he would find his tribe. And the the interviewer asked him, he said, well, have you since found your tribe? And the, and his response was, um, yes, I, fi- I, I've found my tribe in a small group of people who I love and trust and who love and trust me. And I have to be honest with you. I never felt like I found my tribe in the general community of, of jazz musicians. That can be a lonely existence if you're looking for love in that community. Like that writer, I have found my tribe in a close group of friends. And it's a wonderful feeling when that close group of friends 
who feel like kindred spirits are also your colleagues and collaborators in music. And I really feel with this quartet, I've found my tribe finally after after decades of searching. And I think that part of that, part of, of me saying, okay, this is my album, but I want to thank you guys for being there for me. And uh, the only way I can think of doing it is to open up space for you guys to to be represented um, more fully on this second album. And and uh, and just asking them to contribute to composition was my like very, very anemic way of, of perhaps, you know, an anemic way of saying thank you to them for being, you know, for, you know, for being my tribe, <laughs> you know. You know, I just uh, in just a, a little moment of of self indulgence here, want to double down on on everything you just said, and to say that as someone who often has a pretty tumultuous relationship with my blood family, mm. the concept of found family has been so incredibly important in my oh. life, and that you know that idea of mm. you know sometimes you just you find the people who you need around you, and it might take as you suggested a long time, but when you do, it's so precious. Man, I was—I just had a conversation with someone about that recently, Jason. About you, family happens in two ways. It happens the family that you're born into, and the family that you that you find along the way. And sometimes the family you find along the way can be even deeper and more meaningful than the family you were born into. Sometimes. sometimes. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Well, th- thanks. Thanks for sharing that with me. My pleasure. Just a quick break from the interview to remind you to become a Patreon supporter. You get early access to every show. You get a bonus show called This I Dig of You, where I ask the guest to talk about something non-musical that they're into. Joe on this episode talks about slow cooking, which is really fun. And you also get thanked on an episode, plus you'll get behind-the-scenes material and the occasional other bonus stuff, which is all pretty fun. You can do that for 5 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And on each episode, I do thank members of my Patreon community, this time around a tip of the cap to Ronaldo Figueredo and former host of the show, Nikki Schreira. Thank you both very much. Be sure to check out Nikki's social media because she's releasing new music. Now back to the episode. mention another person uh, who seems like he's part of your musical family uh, Tim Garland who returns uh, for a track on here and you and Tim have worked together a ton and the great storms and nocturnes project and and so much uh, what makes you two so such good collaborators which it seems clearly like you are oh man on, on this song he he's featured on Sam Bell's a piece called Tushkin um and he just I just heard him on that track I I, I heard woodwinds and I thought oh it's 
um, and I, I, I heard flute and bass clarinet. The first thing I thought of was Tim Garland plays both of those instruments. So, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, he, he plays a beautiful soprano solo on that track and, and plays multiple. He plays, he uh, overdubs himself man, twice on bass clarinet and two or three times on flute. So he's a, you know, he's a walking woodwind ensemble. And if I can plug something about Tim, he has a new duo album with uh, Jason Rebello, who's an incredible pianist in London, who's worked, who worked extensively with Jeff Beck and Sting and, and um, lots of great people. Um, and they have a duo album called One. And it's, a, it's an incredible duo album, Jason and Tim. But Tim is just this, this he's a force, man. He's a, he's a, He's an incredible composer, incredible symphonic writer, and an incredible improviser. And uh, it was great to get him on this album. And he was so great because when I, I called him to ask him if he would do it, he's, his immediate answer was yes, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, was really, it was really lovely to, to, to have him guest on the album. Yeah, he's amazing. Well, the first time I listened to the record before I had looked at the liner notes and I, I got to that track and there's like clearly seven seven or eight different woodwind players playing on it. I was like, yes, wow, yes. who are all these people? Oh, yeah, they're all Tim. That makes yes, perfect, yes, perfect exactly, sense. There are two tracks on this record that I uh, just wanted to open up some space for you to say something about in particular, uh, because they're both dedicated to um, other people who you know were leading lights in both the world of improvised music and I, I think to a large degree in your own musical life. And that's Raise Heaven for Roy and uh, Song for Vic Juris. And I, I would just I'd love to hear anything you'd like to say about Roy and Vic. Oh, man, thank you. Raise Heaven, the initials R.H. or refer to his name. And raise heaven is what I think is Roy is doing with his presence there. I don't know if I believe in heaven, but if, but if there is one, Roy is definitely there, and he's raising you know the the proceedings with his presence. So that's what the title refers to. Roy was somebody who who I think wasn't wasn't uh, was incapable of playing a dishonest note, and he was somebody who who was absolutely um, absolutely genuine. And he was somebody, even though he was dealing with his own health issues, it was a, he knew who he was and he knew his importance as a as a young elder statesman. And Roy would go every city he played in. He found the jam session after his own concert, not not just so he could he could play, but so he could let other young musicians be around him because he knew that's how he learned the music and he made a point of be of being available to young musicians to to be around his vibe 
but not from a place of ego, from a place of the reality of knowing that this is how the music is and, and, and at its best is passed on. And man, every city he played, man, he went out looking for the local jam session. And um, that's a that was a powerful thing. When he when he died, there was a there was a celebration of his life at Jazz at Lincoln Center. And it went on for 12 hours, man. And the only reason it ended is because because they turned off the lights because they couldn't shut the building down. And it was the outpouring of love for him, I think. I think the outpouring of love for him just spoke to how what a genuine you know force for good he was in the world. And I, I tried in Raise Heaven to to acknowledge with the beginning part of the song is most definitely a, a ballad. Um, and it's a melody that um, someone complimented the song once saying that's a Roy, that's a melody Roy would have loved playing. And the second part of the tune, it kind of goes into a backbeat and the backbeat aspect when it goes into sort of a backbeat groove is an, is, is sort of a, a tip of the hat to the RH factor and to Roy's love of rhythm and blues. And um, I hope I successfully sort of incorporated the two of those as a, as a, uh, as a tribute to him and to Roy's memory. song um song for Vic Juris is a piece that was composed by our pianist Jim Riddle and I I heard him play it um in a, a solo concert he did and I I, I asked him a, after the solo performance I, I said Jim is is there I, I would love to to record this with the quartet would you be amenable to that and he said absolutely um and it's a it's beautiful piece of music and and it's dedicated to someone who was very important to Jim, very important to me, and very important to the, you know, to the world of jazz. He was an incredible guitarist. And for those who knew Vic Juris, they, they all knew that he was, he was important in the same way that John Schofield is important, that John Abercrombie is important, that Pat Metheny is important, that Larry Coryell is important, that, that Mick Goodrick was important, that all of these, all, he, he was on that level of musical greatness. And he was, someone who didn't have a man, he didn't have a fake bone in his body. And he was, he was such a bad, he was such a bad cat, but he was super, super kind, super self-effacing, super funny, just a, a great person to be around. And um, so it, it was a privilege to be able to, uh, to record Jim's tribute to him and put it on the new album. He's really, he's really missed, man. He is really missed. So it was a it was a privilege to put that on the album. And thank you so much for asking about both of those tracks, man. They're really important people who we lost.
there's another a tune on here called Elegy for Us All, which joins a long tradition of jazz musicians using their music, even instrumental music, uh, to speak to the time in which we find ourselves. What inspired this tune? Man, that song was written. It's a very, very simple piece. The melody is really um, is an improvised melody. Um, And it it was just it was just uh, I, I, I just like. Uh, wrote it and you uh, know in, a, in a, just a spirit of sadness for my own country man because I I think we're and still you know I wrote it a year and a half ago but I still feel we're in the same place although I have I have hope at times I think we're in we're in trouble and I and I and I think it's a it's it's a uh, it's just if I'm if I'm really honest I'm I'm um, I'm sad for the fact that 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 after all this time and after all the strides that have been made uh, in my lifetime in the civil rights movement and social justice movements, that the cross section of folks who are unfortunately have have gained more power, um, who are really who are trying to set those strides backwards and undo those strides that were made in my lifetime, went to much to my chagrin and 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 sadness, you know. That's what that song is about. And I just I just really I thought the norm was that, like in the words of Martin Luther King, like, you know, the arc of the arc of justice is long, but it always it always bends toward, you know, toward justice. I don't know if that's true, you know, anymore, but I I would like to think that it is. But in my periods of doubt um, is where that that song emerged, you know, and uh, just, you know, unfortunately that I that I have to write something like that, you know. Well, I've asked you about the the passing of two uh, great musicians and the possible passing of our democracy. Uh-huh. And so I, I can't think of an excellent segue to to bring this interview as it comes to a close to a happier place. So I'm just going to do the jarring segue yes. instead of saying, as, as a guy who has uh, received a lot of records over the years, there's a certain feeling that you get when you and I'm in this case, I'm speaking metaphorically because I didn't I did this digitally. But when yeah. you flip over to the back of the record and yeah. you see in the year of our Lord 2023 that the first track is a Cole Porter tune and you think to yourself, ah, I don't know what I'm in for right now. Yes. And then, however, if you flip the back to the front again, you see that the name on the top is Joe Locke. And so as soon as I started playing this <laughs> and Love for Sale started playing, I just started laughing because. It's the Joe Lockiest love for sale <laughs> there ever was. Like this tune's like a hundred years old, and yeah. it sounds like it was written yesterday, and it just sounds awesome. And the reason it sounds awesome is because the band is as connected to this as they are to the music that is absolutely brand spanking new and being released for the first time on this record. And yeah. I just think that's lovely. That's that's so beautiful, man. And you really, man. I'll say I'll say it again, man. You're a great interview, man, because. Because, um, you know, I felt us getting, you know, I, I didn't want to end on, on such a dark, sad note. And man, I have to say, first of all, thank you so much, man, because it was really a joy to write that arrangement. And again, you start writing and you don't know what's 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 coming. But, but I was really happy when I realized, oh, this could be love for sale if I if I toy with it. And I'm but uh, I'm very happy that you liked it, number one. And I think that that song I mean, it definitely I put it first on the album because because that song does have that kind of very positive, upbeat, um, optimistic, life affirming. Um, and for and for me, like one of the most important things is to or I don't know if it's the most important thing, but it's something I seem to do a lot is that I like to honor the tradition, but to be in the present. 
And I and I, I I hope that's what that arrangement succeeds in doing, you know. So thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. <laughs> well, and I let me be extremely clear for the listeners who have been hearing during this entire conversation samples of the record, which will certainly help. I, I know I specifically asked you about some of the darker places on this record because you're the kind of musician who isn't afraid to touch the darkness. But I do want to say very clearly that there's a lot of really light and also burn in mo- like the same thing the same record that contains uh you know ballads for uh some of our fallen jazz favorites and again possibly for our democracy also contains that Cole Porter arrangement it also contains like super burn and stuff like uh shifting moon which i mean i've listened to a bazillion times and is, is- shifting moon shifting moon quiet as it's kept is satellite by john coltrane yes from- oh no no, no. I, I yeah yeah no i i got yeah. it and like yeah. the dr- the drum and vibe interplay on that tune is oh, is just killer so yeah i, I don't want to leave people with the idea that this is <laughs> like 90 minutes of elegies it is it has those moments of beauty as well but it is it's the full thing it's the it's the full breadth uh of what can be experienced in the course of an album and so i I definitely want to make that clear i know i targeted my questions at the hard stuff but there's a lot of there's a lot of moments that are just about pure joy as well on this record thank you brother thank you jason really appreciate that well, man, look, the this has the, been the least hard-hitting interview anyone ever conducted. It's obvious. I love your music. I've always really loved you as a person. It's uh, And the fact that it's been 13 years since you were on this show is indicative of nothing but my forgetfulness and busyness. <laughs> uh, and it's it's such a joy to have you back. I really Thank appreciate you. taking the time. Thanks for being here, Joe. The, the feeling's very mutual. Thank you for having me, Jason. Thanks to my guest, Joe Locke. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. You can message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and TikTok at the Jazz Session. Take a second to rate and review the show if you would. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. And if you'd like to keep up to date on this podcast, my other show, A Brief Chat, my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. If you dig what you just heard, become a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.